Welcome to the Billings Police Department Unfiltered Podcast, Episode 5. Today we're talking internet crimes against children, internet safety, we'll be talking some electronic devices, and other uh, safety things that you can do uh, to help protect yourself on the internet. This podcast is uh, one of the first ones that we had thought about doing uh, for this uh, series that we have with the BPD Unfiltered. And this episode is for all the parents, the adults, uh, teachers, uh, anybody in the community who's interested in this topic or has children needs to be aware of this, uh, of this, of this uh, issue here with uh, internet safety. A uh, couple warnings here. First, we're going to give a trigger warning as well as an explicit content warning. Uh, there will be um, explicit sexual material discussed in this conversation. We want to give a trigger warning for those who may be triggered by such conversations, as well as we're going to be uh, classifying this as an explicit content podcast, which will allow parents who are utilizing uh, functions on electronic devices to keep children uh, from listening to explicit content material. And if you do decide to have your older age children listen to it, we would encourage you to listen uh, first, before you have your your kids listen to it, but this is a absolute must listen to for for any parents out there. My guest today uh, does these presentations for the Citizens Police Academy that the B- the BPD puts on. Uh, also does presentations ar- around the state for internet safety. Uh, they are oftentimes uh, in our Citizens Police Academy. This is one of our most favorite presentations. Uh, it's the one that usually goes the longest, uh, but we get uh, huge feedback, positive feedback uh, about this. And so my guest today is uh, Detective Earl Campbell with the Billings Police Department. Earl, welcome. Thank you. So Earl, um, let's, uh, let's start off with a little bit about yourself. So you're a task force officer uh, with, uh, with ICAC. Uh, explain what ICAC is. So ICAC is a federally funded task force um, that is uh, Internet Crimes Against Children. So there's 61 task forces throughout the nation, and our Montana task force is uh, made up of multiple different agencies in which we do um, online investigations, uh, different types of uh, posing online accounts set up and that type of stuff, but we're actively fighting the online exploitation of children. So what you're saying is is uh, you may be the other guy on the other line who somebody's trying to chat up a 16-year-old or, or younger uh, to try to hook up for online dating for juveniles, and you might be on the other end of that. Correct. That is uh, one of the unfortunate things of our job where we stay fairly busy. So that's the thing. You know, uh, not all heroes wear, wear capes, and you're behind the computer uh, actively trying to uh, uh, target enforcement to deter this type of behavior. Yep, online posing as a well, generally a teenage girl, which I have never even been. Right. Just the the image that I get in my head, and for the listeners, that you know, you have somebody out there trying to take advantage of a juvenile, and it's comforting to know that you've got a guy like you, Earl, who's sitting on the other end of a computer, um, learning about these things, investigating these things uh, to. To, uh, to prevent this from happening because when we get down to the bottom of this it's really all about taking care of taking care of our kids taking care of our babies and protecting them from from some dangers and unfortunately online there there's a lot of them out there there's a lot of pitfalls that they can fall into the more and more technologically savvy our kids become right so how long have you been with ICAC this is my 12th year 12 years of doing this um 
What types of specialized training did you have to go through to, to get where you're at today? So it's very uh, specific as far as the different types of training we, we do. Um, obviously, the online investigation, um, computerized training. Um, I've been through forensic-specific training. Um, I've got training through the uh, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. I am also a task force member with the FBI, so I have my federal deputization. And I've received uh, several hundred hours of forensic training from the Secret Service. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of specialized training. And in fact, when we first created the position with the department, it was a temporary position. Is that correct? That is correct. And due to the amount of training and specialization that it takes, we, we ended up making a permanent assignment. Correct. So one of the things that I just kind of want to bring up for our listeners that, they're, that they, it's interesting for them to understand is that obviously part of your job deals with uh, child pornography. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes you have to view it with work. Uh, so what are some of the steps that uh, ICAC, the department, what do you have to go through to make sure that you stay healthy mentally, emotionally uh, as you as you deal with these crimes? So part of the, the ICAC training, um, they're very um, suggestive as far as like, you know, detaching from work when you're not at work, you know, leaving work at work and uh, very... Um, into making sure that we have a good friendship base or you have hobbies, things that you like to do. And then uh, part of my, with my uh, federal deputization with the FBI, I am actually psychologically tested yearly. Um, they do, they call it safeguarding, and they do a uh, battery of tests as well as an interview with a counselor and psychologist once a year. Wow. So that kind of goes to show not all law enforcement uh, has that type of uh, oversight or kind of a, like you said, safeguarding with it. And that just kind of, I think, goes to stress the importance of your job. And um, uh, this conversation that we're having here is because uh, there's a lot of victimization going on in the community, the state and stuff, and, and that stuff doesn't make the papers. And, and I think the information that we're going to give out today will help prevent uh, victims in the future, hopefully. Yeah, and that's, uh, I guess, one of the things that, that we'll obviously cover. But, uh, you know, the Internet opens all of our kids in Montana up to, predators and uh, all over the world not just here so it's it's a new realm as far as investigations to try to keep up with that you know we we grew up being told don't take candy from strangers uh come home when the lights are turned on uh, all these other kind of adages that were normalized right the the internet is fairly new i mean it's been around a while but the technology advances that are coming with the internet are happening so fast that we as humans and a society aren't able to keep up with 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 this stuff and, and the internet is highly unregulated and what i think it's important for listeners to understand is that uh, you know there's also there's obviously risks for your child uh, in other locations homes personally but the internet brings these possibilities directly into your home whether it be through your computer your phone your tablets your ipads uh, and it's not specifically uh, associated to just children with internet safety, right? And that's the big topic we're confident or we're we're working on here today. But elderly can be exploited from scams. Uh, adults can be uh, exploited by putting too much personal information out there. Uh, identity theft, those types of things. So there's lots of risk being brought into your home. Uh, so let's start to talk about that a little bit. 
let's uh, let's not assume anybody really has a real deep understanding of what's going on. Let's talk about the internet itself. The, we hear about the regular internet versus the deep web or the dark web. Can you kind of lay that out for us? Uh, so uh, at, at a very basic level, the internet is something that our devices can connect to um, to where we can share and receive information. Um, as anybody who uses the internet knows, you can search different topics, you can read news articles, you can pretty much find just about anything you're interested in on the internet. When you start talking the difference between internet and you know deep web and dark web, so the, the internet itself um, is very, the stuff that Google searches is what we kind of classify as the normal internet. That's the stuff that's indexed, if you will, um, Google has these crawlers, they, they call them spiders. They go out and they search the web, they gather that information, they bring it back to their servers. And then it's all classified, you know, they run algorithms on it. And that's why when you do a Google search, that's how you get what subject you're searching for is they match up the algorithms. When you start talking about deep web, um, the, the best analogy or picture I've seen kind of shows an iceberg and you have the, you know, the top of the iceberg out of the water and that's the actual, the, the normal internet, if you will. Then you have the, the deep web, which is the part of the, the iceberg that's just under the water. So deep web is anything that isn't indexed by Google or anything that web crawlers or search engines can't find. So that could be, um, say, you know, even your email address that's password protected that can't be you know, crawled by, by search engines is, is considered the deep web. Something that's, you know, so school um, networks, business networks, that type of stuff would be classified as deep web. When you start talking about dark web, now dark web is something that is extremely unregulated, but the dark web takes specialized software to get to. You can't just pull up your, your internet browser and do a Google search and find stuff on the dark web. You actually have uh, several steps and special software you have to download to, to even get to that content. And do you see a lot of um, like the child pornography, a lot of the really explicitly illegal stuff occurring in that area? So the, the dark web is, is truly, I guess, the Wild West, if you will. You can find pretty much anything there, whether it be, you know, guns, drugs, um, you know, murder for hire. There's all kinds of stuff on there that you can find. Um, you know, it's all done, you know, kind of behind the scenes, if you will. And uh, transactions are all done with Bitcoin or non-traceable funds. Um, but we see uh, a lot of uh, computer viruses that people download from being on the dark web. And then a lot of people that are think they're buying stuff and they have no idea who they're dealing with. And so a lot of times they're spending their money on stuff that uh, is quite possibly illegal to have, but they have no way of getting the product or their money back. So there's a lot going on on the dark web that uh, that is not a, a really good place for people to, to go around exploring. Right. So I kind of want to shift gears because the Internet and the technology has definitely had a, a good impact in all aspects of people's lives, being able to social network, communicate, uh, learn things, that kind of stuff. But then we have some of the, uh, the negative impacts or the, the derogatory effects um, of, of these social platforms or using the internet too. And it kind of has changed a little bit of the way of how, um, you know, bullying has occurred. You know, back before the internet, it would go, you know, bullying would happen face to face or, you know, uh, through those platforms. But now we have the internet and it can be done remotely and it's brought into your home. So can we talk about bullying just a little bit and what you, you see? 
Sure. Yeah, we see, um, unfortunately, we see a fair amount of bullying. Um, one of the things that uh, we do when we do kid presentations, especially with the elementary level kids, um, we, we kind of call it keyboard courage. And, and what we mean by that is, is when you're sitting at home or you're sitting around a group of friends, um, you, you tend to say things and do things that you wouldn't do normally or you wouldn't say face to face. So a lot of people will type out messages and they'll, they'll send them. And, uh, you know, they don't see the, the effect those have on people. They don't have the facial expression or anything like that. One of the main things that we're seeing is the junior high years, so like fourth through eighth grades, are uh, kind of the top years for bullying. And that, I think, is attributed to that's when our personalities is, as people are developing and we're still figuring out who we are and what our likes are and who we like to hang out with. And you're being pushed and pulled in so many different directions. So there's a lot of uh, peer pressure during those years. You know, I've listened to other podcasts, but that's a really big thing right now. And, and I think some of the stuff that I've been reading on some statistics are are that, uh, you know, not only are the males, teenage males being affected by the bullying, but it seems to be that teenage females are, are largely affected. Yeah, and a lot of the teenagers that I talk to, um, you know, it was very surprising to me because I guess I didn't picture girls being that way. But uh, teenage girls tell me that it's quite the opposite, that, um, you know, my my thoughts of how teenage girls were are uh, skewed or not, not correct. And things have actually started getting so bad with teenage girls that they're starting to create, instead of just like bullying categories, they're starting to create male and female bullying categories for statistics on, on how bad things are actually getting. Wow. So... And you provide some of the statistics and some kind of some facts in your presentation about the bullying. And I think those are would be good for us to go over right now to kind of give parents an idea of, of, of where their kid, depending on what they are, where may they be falling in this kind of risk factors. So some of the things that, uh, and to be honest with the bullying, it was actually very hard to research and try to find information because there was a lot of differing um, opinions of what actual bullying is. Um, some of the studies, you know, considered bullying. If somebody sent a message and they didn't answer, then the, the person who didn't answer was bullying the person who sent the message. And so some of it is, you know, it's truly personal opinion and, and things that you agree with. But going through everything, um, the main stuff that I came up with or as close as what I consider to be bullying is that shows that about 50% of teens have been a victim of some type of bullying, you know, whether it's messages online or in chat rooms or gaming or something like that, that they've been, you know, starting to get those types of message and, and bullying, um, behavior. So one of the other statistics you have is the one in 10 only reports, one in 10 victims report that to their parents. So we see that a lot, um, that cyberbullying, a lot of it that goes on and a lot of it that we actually see and can monitor online is never reported and it's never reported to parents. And, and one of the reasons that we find out when we talk to kids, why that is, is we as parents that have kids and something bad is happening with our kids or our kids make a mistake, our knee-jerk reaction is to take devices away and completely cut those kids off of the Internet or off of their social networks um, without realizing that, that that is their way of communicating, that is their way of, of talking to their friends, doing things you know that they do with their friends mostly has gone online or a lot of it has gone online. So that knee-jerk reaction where we, you know, panic as an adult and you want to do the best for your kids so you take everything away well they don't want to report that because they don't want to lose all their devices because then they can't talk to their friends so it's something that we as parents have to kind of come up with a happy medium or 
you know, something as far as through education with our kids to try to um, stop, you know, to have, not have that knee-jerk reaction and be able to kind of keep things on an even keel, if you will. So here we have a perfect example of how the internet has brought something into your home. You know, we, we largely see the places where we live as a, as a safe space, you know, to be able to get away from that. And, and to think of that your kid is maybe in their room reading their iPad or on their phone and they're being bullied and, and getting all of the emotional response, maybe the depression from it, all that kind of stuff. And then yet they're afraid to, to talk to their parents to report it. Uh, kind of creates a, an environment where the kid may not feel comfortable at any location. That's very true. Um, the the days of, you know, we, we always kind of talk about the stranger danger when, you know, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody, there's, you know, we we kind of have that inherent nature of looking at somebody and, and getting that feeling that something's not right with that person, that there's somebody we shouldn't be by or, you know, even crossing the street to avoid them while well, we lose that online. And now you have kids that are, you know, in their rooms and whether it's other kids that are sending them messages or adults sending them messages and then they're afraid to talk to people it's really kind of a an isolated world that they they withdraw into tip number one parents you've got to engage with your kids you've got to communicate with them and have these conversations early uh the bullying occurs in in grade school younger and younger kids are getting getting electronic devices or what type of advice do we have for the parents to be able to help engage or monitor or keep an overall kind of uh, thumb on this so they know what's going on with their kids so the the biggest thing is the open dialogue back and forth with your kids talking to your kids but uh, one of the biggest things that we recommend is um, you know knowing what your kids use knowing what apps they use and um, keeping tabs on that type of stuff one of the big mistakes that we see parents making and it's not like a faulted mistake, but they think that they're doing right is they'll be their friends on a social network, but they don't have their kid's actual login and password. For parents to actually see what their kids are doing online, they need the login and password for all of their accounts because too many of these these platforms have private messaging and they have ways that you can exclude your parents or anybody else from seeing certain things. So as a parent, you actually need to have the login and password for all of your kids' accounts just in that way you can see what's going on and what's being said to them and what they're saying. And so it's important for the parents uh, not only to have these logins and these IDs and the passwords, because we obviously want to prevent our kids from being bullied and being victims of bullying, but I think it's also important for parents to be able to monitor that so they can keep an eye on their kids from being the bully, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's the the only way is, again, to, to be able to see everything that's going on within that app or that network. Right. One of the other statistics that you uh, that, that you put out there was roughly one in five teens have already posted nude or sexually suggestive photos and sent them to others. How, how concerning is that to you? It's very concerning. Um, you know, I started on the ICAC task force in 2010. And at that time, um, we were seeing, you know, that type of behavior from kids around 12 years old. And in the 12 years that I've been on ICAC, we're now seeing that as low as eight years old and sometimes even younger. We're having kids that are, are posting pictures or posting videos. And when we talk to them later, they don't necessarily realize that it was wrong. They, 
you know, kind of are embarrassed about whatever picture they took or the video, but not necessarily of the understanding that, that what they were doing um, can be wrong or used against them to, to further victimization. Wow. And the saying goes true. Once it's on the internet, it's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once it's posted, you have no way of getting it back and you have no way of knowing who all has seen it or downloaded it and saved it. So we get to kind of like a culmination of some of this bullying. Uh, and, and there's a good example that you talk about. Can you talk about Amanda Todd just a little bit? So Amanda Todd was a, a young female a teenager that she lived in Canada and, um, she actually posted a video online and in the video, she holds up uh, kind of self-made handmade, um, note cards. And she tells her, her story of bullying and she talks about, um, how she is bullied by kids at her school. Um, she admits to some mistakes she made. She takes ownership of her mistakes, but the kids won't leave her alone. Um, she even moves to a different school and uh, does things as far as getting away from the group that's bullying her. Um, but the one common denominator problem is is that she has social media, and no matter where she moves, she still has that online account. So she's still getting bullied online and uh, threats are being made. Um, she attempted suicide a couple of different times, and then ultimately um, she did end up committing suicide. Wow. That's got to be a parent's worst nightmare. Um, I don't know all of the details of it, but but again, back to the parents, we gotta we got to be in tune to what our kids are doing on these devices to make sure that they're okay. We absolutely do, and, and one of the things that I, I keep hearing from parents is how much time it takes. Um, you know, the like you mentioned earlier, come home when the lights come on. You know, that was kind of the thing when we were kids. If the street lights are coming on, it's, you know, you better be home or, or close to and kind of a safety thing that our parents could always go with. Well, now with kids being connected 24-7, um, you know, they're available and, and accessible 24 hours a day. And I think a big part for parents, uh, too, is this, back to these conversations and just being able to have that conversation relationship with your kid because... Not only does it bring it out, but it helps give them some coping skills uh, to deal with it when it occurs, uh, and then allows you to be able to get involved so it, it can be stopped instead of just hiding it and, and being afraid to, to get their devices taken away from them. Agreed, and they and the more withdrawn they become, the, the harder it is to, to approach that su- subject later. Um, we also, with, with elementary kids, when we do our presentations, we encourage them to think of somebody that they we term as a trusted adult you know whether that's a parent or a teacher or guardian or somebody that they can relate to or somebody that they can mention to so if something bad happens um you know i mean even if it's not a parent it's somebody that they can go to and talk to and let somebody know that something's going on so if we have a parent listening to this and their kids being bullied or they find themselves in their this situation what should they do? Where can they go if they don't know what to, what to do? Some, some guidance for them. So one of the biggest things is, is uh, if you find it happening, um, there's, uh, use your, your search engines, Google, Bing, whichever ones you like to use, and, and search the platform that it's happening on. Um, nobody has to receive these messages. So if there's things going on, talk to your child about it, and you can block the sender. Um, you know, go through the messages and see how bad they are and kind of make your opinion of if they're reaching the point to where they're, you know, threatening and it's more than just name calling and that type of stuff, then um, report it and let let somebody deal with that. We have our SROs are great here in town with dealing with this kind of stuff. 
Um, they are very good at, you know, kind of heading it off before things get too bad. But, uh, you know, kind of as a parent, um, you know, you can be protective without being overprotective and letting your kids know that you're there for them without, uh, you know, taking the devices away. Or sometimes kids will get embarrassed when their parents overreact. So, you know, we have avenues of dealing with, with that type of stuff. And if you let us know, we can, we can kind of point you in the right direction. But one of the biggest things is, is, is block the person that's bullying them. They, they don't have to listen to that stuff and they don't need to, to keep continuing to get those messages. So I want to do another podcast with the SROs strictly on bullying because I think that's a whole other topic in and of itself. But you mentioned devices. Let's, uh, let's talk about the smartphones and kind of explain the progression and how powerful these things are these days. So smartphones, it's, it's very hard for people to fully understand because they're so much part of our life about how powerful these devices are. But uh, when you think about, uh, so say one of the dates I used, July 20th, 1969, it's when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And you think about, you know, the Apollo guidance computer, which was top of the line at that time. And that computer could process about 41.6 instructions per second. So much faster than any human can or much faster than anybody or even groups of humans could for changing trajectory and that type of stuff. But then um, one of the comparisons I use is, the iPhone X, which is now not even the most um, recent iPhone, but it can process things about 600 billion times a second. So when you're looking at the the comparisons, it's unbelievable how much more power there is. Um, The iPhone 6, um, one of the comparisons I saw, it could run just with its processor power. It was something like 132 Apollo rockets at the same time. I mean, 132 million, sorry, 132 million Apollo rockets all at the same time, just off of their computing power. And so, with all of this computing power that they have, um, what's what are the, what are the what are the phones? What are these electronic devices? What are they doing with this ability to process all this data? So, all of the data is, I mean, it, truly, it's it's parsed by the companies who your your phones through. But it's they're gathering a, a unbelievable amount of data about us. And one of the biggest concerns is location data. Um, it is something that, uh, you know, when you set your phone up, if you agree to have your location services on, your phone is then tracking everywhere you go. And there are some bigger stores that, that actually will track, like, what aisle you spend the most time in and that type of stuff. And it's all basically targeted data. They grab that data and then they target it for advertising, which then makes more money because they can try to market certain products to you that you're interested in. So that's why if I'm on the internet and I'm looking to buy like a new power tool, all of a sudden on my phone, I see, start seeing advertisements for that power tool that yeah. I was Google searching on my home computer. Absolutely. Yep. They start showing up. And one of the ways that uh, people can truly test this if they want, if they open up a browser and, and say log into their Facebook page, and then they can open another tab in that same browser and Google shop for something that they've never shopped for, something they've never looked for or had any interest in it. And if they go back to their Facebook page and refresh their page a couple of times and go to some different places, all of a sudden ads for what they were just searching for will, will show up on Facebook. And same thing with like active geolocating. You just went into a retail store and now you start seeing ads from that retail store or even another step further, you hit a geofencing with another person that has their phone on uh, multiple times, and then you get a suggested friend request. Yep. Everything is, is basically 
aggregated, if you will, and, and correlated and put together. And they have all these powerful programs that, that go through all of this data and look for links. And the, the more information that they can get, the more money it is for them, the more they make. So I think one of the, the, the popular uh, Netflix uh, documentaries recently was Social Dilemma. Um, that kind of talked about all of the information that was being collected on you. So for the listeners, if you haven't seen that on Netflix, you could run out there and it, it's interesting. They have another perspective of how the data is being collected and used, but let's, let's talk about like taking a simple picture from our, our phone and putting it on Facebook. What could you determine based off of just that picture I put on Facebook? So with pictures, when you have your location services turned on, um, it will actually do what's called geotagging. And so it can tag where you're at in that picture. And what the tagging is, it's truly the GPS coordinates of where you took the picture. So when you post that online, and it depends on where you post it. So certain websites scrub that data out because they save space by making the pictures smaller. Others don't. Um, a lot of times the websites don't tell you whether they do or not. So the danger of that is, is if you take a picture and you post that picture, if somebody downloads that picture, they can look at those GPS coordinates and they can see exactly where you took the picture. So you could be telling them, you know, where you live or where you vacation, where you work, any of that type of information without ever saying a word to them. Um, one of the analogies I use when I do presentations is, is, you know, we live in Montana. We've got a lot of open space. If you have your, your location services turned on, you could go out in a field and literally take a picture of a rock just on the ground. And with that GPS coordinates on there, anybody in the world can find that exact spot where you took that picture and find that rock. So this is an important thing to kind of realize that these devices that your kids are using track their location, where they're at, maybe some of their patterns. But if they're posting certain information that has that information in it, somebody who's winning, wanting to target them can learn a lot about them. Very easily, Yes. So what would be some tips for parents in some of the settings or some of the things that they can help their kids set up in their phones to prevent um, that type of information uh, inadvertently being attached to things that they post, as well as uh, some tips of, of what things they should or shouldn't be, be posting? So I would, um, as far as what they should or shouldn't be posting, I would um, definitely say personal information, um, information about especially their kids posting this stuff. Um, be very careful about what they share as far as siblings and um, where they go to school, where they live, and that kind of information. As far as the devices go, um, the unfortunate thing with, with devices is is the settings change all the time and, and different devices, different updates. So you can't just sit here and say, okay, go to this spot, go to this spot, and change that setting. Um, again, the, the biggest thing that I would recommend is like Google or Bing, whatever search engine you use, you search your, your device and that will tell you. But one of the biggest things that I recommend is turning off the location services for your pictures because um, even if you turn it on when you're on vacation, we forget to, to turn it off and we start sending that information out there. And again, we're telling people a lot of information about where we live, where we work, where we go, just simply in the pictures that we share. Wow. Now, also inside these devices, not only just pictures, but we have we have some, there's a lot of different apps out there, two-way communication apps. Uh, some of them are encrypted, some of them aren't, but uh, can we start talking about like some of the, uh, the safety issues with that? Because it used to be when cell phones first came out, you could call on them 
and you could text message just through them. But now we have multiple different applications where we can have two-way communications and it might not be in your regular text messages. That's, yeah, with the new apps, um, they use your data. So it doesn't show up as a like a numbered text messaging. And one of the big questions we always get is, you know, what are the bad apps? What are the worst apps? What should we stay away from? And um, the only way to answer that is, is any app that has two-way communication can be used for bad things. I mean, anything that uh, puts us out there to where we can receive messages um, opens us up to people sending messages or finding us on that app or sending um, messages to random numbers. We've seen a, a big uptick with that. Um, so any of those apps, once you start receiving messages, um, they're a little bit harder to track because they don't show up as a text message. But there are no, like, this one's completely bad, this one's completely good, because you don't know who's on the other end. Right. And so for the listeners, there's a couple things. We're not specifically identifying apps because, uh, one, there's so many of them out there, and then, and two, we don't want people to go shopping around. But I think it comes down to um, you got to know what your kids are using, what's downloaded on their apps, uh, and what that app is, is used for. Also, um, there are some of these uh, aftermarket text message apps where there's sharing of location services. Is that correct? That is correct. So much like uh, like if we're talking iPhone, uh, the find your friends uh, portion of the app where for family, it's nice for to know where people are at at any given time. Um, but when we get into the conversation of juveniles uh, using these app, apps that they may have got from an online chat or uh, their friends are using, opens up the door for them to inadvertently share their location and other stuff with, with complete strangers. It does. And some of them, um, depending on the app and how it's set up, it could be they need to friend request that person to see the information and other apps, as soon as the kids make that available, anybody can see it. Um, some of them are sophisticated enough that uh, the app will translate if they're traveling in a car, say at 35 miles an hour, um, the app will actually put like their little emoji, if you will, or their little likeness that they have on the, the social network. It'll put them in a car. I mean, it's smart enough to know that at the speeds they're traveling, you know, their mode of transportation. Right. And so regarding like um, using these devices and, and, and text messaging with them, you spoke earlier about how these devices and the electronics kind of allow us to step back and kind of have that keyboard courage, if you will, which kind of opens the doors up for some other stuff. And, and let's talk about like uh, texting and sexting risks with kids uh, and, and some of the stuff that goes along. And you have some pictures that you share of some text messages in your presentation. And, and we're going to read it here in a second, but we really want to kind of paint the picture of this and, and to show that this is some of the stuff that your kids may be exposed to or uh, what they're experiencing through these devices. Um, and so if you could kind of talk a little bit about, you know, these text messages and where they, what, what the context of them a little bit. So these are actually um, messages that we had in cases um, here in Montana. Um, the first one that we're going to read um, was actually on a seventh grader's phone to give you an idea as far as um, one of the questions I keep getting when we talk about the content in our presentations, I get asked if it's truly relevant for the age group that we talk to. And I think that it's, um, you know, unfortunately, we truly see the worst of the worst. But I think a lot of parents if, are kind of naive as far as to what their kids are exposed to and, and truly the conversations that they're having. And I, and I think as you're listening to this, also for the listener, pay attention to that 
there's a lot of like kind of grooming behavior or minimization of of downplaying some of these events. And I'll and I'm going to read this first text message. Uh, it says, "Roses are red, lemons are sour. Open your legs. Give me an hour. Kissing is a habit. Fucking is a game. Guys get all the pleasure, and girls get all the pain." Ten minutes of pleasure, nine months of pain, three days in a hospital, a baby with no name. The baby is a bastard, the mother is a whore. This never would have happened if the rubber hadn't tore. And you said this was on a seventh grader's phone. Seventh grade, yep. So um, back back parents, we got to be on the phones. We got to kind of be aware of what's going on and having these conversations. Because when I think of, you know, if I... My kid, when he gets into the seventh grade, he's either sending or receiving these these messages. That would that would bother me quite a bit as a parent. Yeah, and and that's kind of goes back with um, you know parents not not knowing what their kids are doing. One of the other things that we recommend, um, call them just a random device check, random phone checks to look and just go through your kids' phones to see if this type of stuff is on there, what kind of behavior is is going on. And then there's and then there's a, a another text message here that has a little bit of uh, uh, sexual content to it as well as 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 some bullying, um, and and one of the text messages here, if you kind of give a little bit of background on on this one. So this was a an actual bullying case that we worked, um, and these text messages were on a fourth grade uh, student's phone. So on a fourth grader's phone, this text message message says, "Okay." Now that we not friends anymore, I can say what's on my mind. You're a fucking slut. Everyone in the whole fucking school thinks so. And that includes me and you're dating a man whore. No offense to him. He awesome. And you were the ugliest clothes ever. And you had a bad B.O. today. And you wear high waters and you wear shoes that are worn out. And your little kids' shoes, what are you, five? And you need to stop thinking you're the, and that's where the, the, the screen ends. Yeah, the messages, they, they kind of kept going on and on. But yeah, again, that was a, a bullying case that we saw with a fourth grade student. So the, the content at the fourth grade, the language that they're using, and uh, they're definitely trying to degrade the person. Uh, and if these parents aren't in tune to what's going on, we can have some serious implications with this kid as time as time goes. Yeah, absolutely. It just it could just keep getting worse and worse. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share kind of a, a little bit of a personal story here with with kind of trying to be in tune to your kids to kind of identify what they're what they're doing. Um, so my son, he's a little over five, about to be six, uh, and. This winter, he um, it was cold outside. I told him, "Hey, go put your go put your jacket on," uh, and he kind of he didn't want to, uh, didn't want to put his jacket on, and and so obviously the conversation was, "Hey, go get your jacket. It's cold outside. We're 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 going to school." Uh, then the the following day or two later, um, my wife has the same same issue with him. He doesn't want to doesn't want to put on his jacket, but. But he said to my, my wife, he says that at the age of five, he goes, but I, I don't want them to make fun of me. And in and a, and a roundabout story, we, we ended up finding out that on the playground, uh, my kid hadn't even been bullied. It was uh, some kids on the playground were making fun of another kid about wearing a jacket that was too big. 
And, and the reason why the kid was wearing the jacket that was too big was because it was a hand-me-down from his family. You know, some families may not have enough money or, or, or they just pass down clothes because they have, have so many, uh, have so many kids. But the point of this is, is that, you know, my son wasn't even, wasn't even the victim of the bullying. And yet he was already starting to modify his behaviors at the age of five based off of what he observed just in person, let alone being in the fourth grade and having a phone that's, that's being piped into him. Yeah. And having that, uh, availability 24 seven, you know, being able to receive those messages at any time. Um, one of the things when we interview kids, um, I have done an interview with a kid that, uh, they told me they wake up about every 20 minutes at night just to check their phone to see if they've gotten any new messages or if anybody's updated. So, you know, them having that device in their room, they're now not getting any sleep, um, which kind of folds into, one of the other recommendations that we make is, um, you know, at night when it's bedtime that there's a charging station set up in the kitchen or the dining room or on a counter where, where kids or, you know, can plug in their phones, they can charge overnight and then they can have them in the morning, um, and not have them in the room with them at night. That's great advice. So parents do some, do some reading on your own of, you know, shutting devices down prior to going to bed, making sure they're not in the rooms. Uh, cause that's concerning. Not only sleep behavior, you know, as far as uh, healthy habits. Uh, but then if they're dependent uh, in the addiction to these devices, whether it's the social media that they're constantly checking or if there's games that they're playing, the more time on device, the more risks that they're exposed to. Correct. Yep. Let's, uh, let's talk about Snapchat just a little bit. Okay. So if you're not familiar with Snapchat, um, Snapchat is uh, one of the main ways that kids communicate right now. And it is a, a self-contained app that um, you have it on your device, somebody else has it on their device, and what makes it kind of unique is you must have Snapchat to talk to each other on the Snapchat platform. But what Snapchat is famous for is is their messages disappear. So you can set a, a delete function, if you will, when you send a message, and you can decide how long that message will survive on the other person's device. So when you're sending them messages, if that person um, does a screenshot with the device, then it alerts you that they actually saved that picture, that message, um, so that you know that that person is keeping, you know, or memorializing your conversation, if you will. But it is uh, right now one of, if not the top way that, that kids are communicating with their devices. So some tips for parents. How do they, how do they monitor Snapchat, especially if uh, they're automatically deleting messages uh, Snapchat is a is a hard one to monitor because of the deletion of, of messages. Um, there are chat functions that don't necessarily delete right away, um, but it, it is very tricky for parents to um, monitor, which is one of the main reasons that we suggest that you have the login and password so that if your child logs out of the app or if they have their phone sitting on the counter and, and it's locked, that if they're getting messages, you can randomly check them just to see what's what's coming across or what's being said and done with that app. And is Snapchat set up similar to anything else where they can have like a list of friends or, or contacts? It is. Yep. And so you can, uh, you create your username and then you can find other people on there. You can friend, um, strangers, if you will, people you don't know, um, can find you. So it, it really, um, is, it functions like a social network in which your information is, is now out there to some degree, depending on how much you use the app. Right. So back again to 
the pa- parents having the passwords and the logins for that to be able to to be able to monitor that. So let's, um, we won't name th- these next ones, but let's talk about uh, some of these, whether they're, they're phone-based or computer-based, either way, but these randomized chat rooms. So there are several places um, that are online that you can go to where you can um, engage in pretty much any type of conversation with strangers or random people that are quite literally anywhere in the world. And essentially the way they work is you go to these sites or use these apps and you don't have a username. You don't have a login. You don't have a password. You just open up the app or you go to the site and click that you want to chat with somebody or you want to video chat with somebody. And it will start pairing you with with other people that are on the site or the app at the same time at random. It just picks two people and puts them together. And some of those randoms are just chat rooms where they text and then others are with like video screens is that correct correct and so if if you're in a random room with these video screens every few seconds or when you hit a button you could change to a new room and whatever whatever pops up on that camera is is what you get yep whatever pops up and there's no moderators there's no um, people watching what's going on so unless somebody actually reports illegal behavior, um, a lot of times these platforms, websites, or apps don't really even know that it's happening. And it um, can be quite scary what pops up on the, on the screen just in a flash when you get paired with somebody new. So back to why we, we didn't name a lot of these, just to kind of reinforce this, is whatever apps are on your kids' phone you need to understand how they function and, and what they're doing. That's correct. And that's that's one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, we, why we recommend using your search engines to try to find, because that's the best way to find out what the apps will do. You know, I mean, in, in 2010, when I started on the ICAC task force, uh, smartphones were just really starting to take off. And, you know, when a new app would come out, I would have time to, to mess with it and look at it and see how it worked. And now, there's so many apps and we're so busy that, that we don't have that time to kind of explore and, and tinker with things, if you will. We end up waiting until we get a, a, a case on it and then we do the same thing we're recommending to parents. We research the app and try to figure out what it does and, and how it functions and, and all of the different functionality. Right. So as far as like these apps go, let's talk some of the, the really big popular ones. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Kind of paint a picture for me about how how massive these are and how many people are using them. So Facebook is is still by far the the champion of of social networks, and there's you know the opinions vary or the numbers vary, but um, as of October a couple of years ago, Facebook had what they considered uh, 2.23 billion active monthly users. And at that time, they considered a, an active monthly user somebody that logged in every 30 days. So when you think of you know the world population, roughly around 8 billion people, over 25% of the world um, had profiles on Facebook. And so that exponentially grows. So for, for parents uh, uh, with that social networking, you know, if you look on, on, on your kid's Facebook page and they have 300 friends... What would you suggest to them? I would um, suggest that they, they talk to their kids and find out who those people are. Uh, my kids are older now, but one of the rules that we had was if you don't know somebody face-to-face, then you don't get to be friends with them on a social network because 
um, you have no idea, you know, who that person is. And currently, Facebook allows up to 5,000 friends per per profile. So, you know, if, you're, if your kid has hundreds and hundreds of friends, find out who they are because we're, we're truly losing that stranger danger fear of, you know, the online. Um, it's unreal how many people will create a profile or they'll use a like a model's picture or a standard picture they can download off the internet of somebody that's very attractive and they get all these friends. Well, that's not even who the person is. But if you don't know that person in real life, you you have no idea that that's not who they really are. Right. And I know that we've had uh, cases in the past where that has actually occurred, where somebody on the other end is posing as something different and they solicit uh, nude pictures from a juvenile. And, and that's part of the way of uh, some of these groups uh, manufacturing or, or producing child pornography. Is that right? It is. Yep. And that um, we, unfortunately, we see it fairly regular because there's, with any social networking, there's no um, validation or verification of who that person is. You create a username and an email address, and now you can create a profile. There's nothing that, that shows that whether that's a real person or not. So what you're essentially saying is, is that these social media platforms aren't secure very unsecure. So what would be some tips um, and some dangers and stuff for parents to look for if they're going to have their kids use, allow them to use like Facebook or social media? What are some settings or what are some ways that they can help keep their kids safe? So again, um, truly my my biggest recommendation is having the login and password for them. Um, another one is, is um, not letting them use their picture as their profile picture having them use, you know, a, a picture of a pet or something, you know, without their house or school in a background, but something that's kind of nondescript so that if somebody's scrolling through profiles, they can't see what that person looks like. Um, the other thing, you know, again, I, I can't I can't say it enough, but the stranger danger, if you don't know who that person is in real life, you don't know who they are. Um, one of the videos I show is, is a kid that uh, he's in front of a, a group of other kids yelling out where they live and who he's got a crush on and all of that type of stuff. Well, you have to understand that if you're putting that information on Facebook, you're telling 2.2 billion people all of that information, where you live, what your birth date is, who you're interested in, what your likes are, all of that. So, you know, the good rule of thumb is never post anything you don't want everybody on the internet or even the world to see. One of the things where we see with a lot of the social networks that people get into uh, trouble is the uh, friends of friends setting, which is the default setting for most of them. And what that does is it allows your friends on social networking to see everything in your social network or what your pro- your profile says, what you're posting, just like they're one of your friends. So if you go back to the, the 5,000 friend maximum on, say, Facebook, and say you're really di- diligent and you only have 100 friends of people that you actually know, but one of those 100 friends has 5,000 friends, well, now all 5,000 of those people can see everything that you're posting, just like they're one of your friends. Wow. So go in there, check, uh, make sure that it's not a public profile because public, they can see everything, correct? Correct. Yep. Once it's public, it's, it's out there. Okay. And, and so the best setting is really friends only for Facebook. Is that correct? Correct. Friends only. Okay. And then the other thing that, uh, I kind of want to bring up too is with, we mentioned it before is once you put something on the internet, it kind of stays there forever. And, And a lot of these platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, they create a timeline for you. And if you've been using it for years and years and years, 
all that stuff is still there in a timeline. And, and there may be things that you post uh, that are inappropriate and, and all that stuff may come back later on to get you. Is that correct? That's very, very correct. In fact, we, um, with the timeline, when they used to do the one minute video of your life since you joined Facebook, um, we did that on a couple of our undercover accounts that we created. And uh, when we did that, pictures showed up in that video that had been deleted for a substantial amount of time. One of the pictures was deleted for over two years. So nobody could see it. We couldn't see it anymore. But not only was it still there, Facebook knew which uh, which platform, which profile, and right about the timeline that it was posted. So they're, they're, all of that stuff is being saved. They, they have it all. Um, one of the things that uh, especially kids need to think about junior high and high school is, you know, what are you posting? I mean, it may be kind of cute and funny now, but say you're in college and you're looking at getting a job with a, a re- pretty reputable company. Say you want to be an attorney or you want some kind of a big business, um, all of that stuff is out there. It's coming back to haunt people, and um, you see it in the news constantly all the time, especially uh, in politics is the big hot button right now where postings that people have done, even when they were teenagers, are coming back, and, and now they're having to answer for things they said or things they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. So for the police department, if you want to be a police officer, we do a thorough background investigation, and we go through social media. Uh, and and other employers are are doing the same thing. Yep, they are. And and to touch on the background, I I used to do the backgrounds for police department or one of the background investigators, and um, we did have a person that applied that uh, he ended up getting in a sense knocked out of the process simply because of his social media posts and and what he was saying online. So people are absolutely absolutely looking. Right, and and so. Not only is it the safety of the dangers that you ex- are exposed to with the internet, if not used appropriately, uh, but it's also the the outward portion of what your privacy is and what you're putting out there for the world to see. Yeah, you uh, a lot of people when you see the you know they call them the influencers or whatever, um, they they really have no private life because their their life is lived online. Um, some of the studies we're we're seeing that people like that and people that have thousands of friends on Facebook are actually more depressed because they don't have any human interaction. It's all done at, on a screen with a keyboard. And when they see those influencers, they're seeing an advertised, photoshopped, glamorous image of of, of a life that really nobody lives. That's correct. Everything is perfect. Right. And, and that's big, too, when you have this conversation with your kids is, is that your, your kids aren't using these platforms to compare themselves because nobody's going to put their, their dirty laundry or their problems on their, on their social media pages. No, everybody lives online, for the most part, the perfect life, which um, makes some people feel like their life isn't what it should be because they look at what other people are posting online and, and feel that they don't measure up, if you will. But what they're not seeing is the true life. They're only seeing the, the public portrayal of what those people want them to see. Correct. And each of those platforms uh, has that skew in a different way. Facebook skews it a different way than Instagram. With Instagram, with the filters, the Photoshopping, the images, and then you know Facebook with the stories or you know what's going on most great in your life today. Yep. They all have their own little niche that they're, they're pushing or that they're using to try to get, you know, that much more information and users. 
So with this whole comparison thing, uh, it kind of opens up the door with social media. Can you talk about like the, the dangers or the risks or the, uh, of, of picture swapping? So what we see a lot with picture swapping, especially when it comes to, to kids, is um, predators and, and people that are, are looking for kids, uh, they'll do what they can to try to get something embarrassing. Uh, it doesn't have to be nudity, and that's one of the hardest things to, to get people to understand is, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a nude image. It just has to be something that they can then use to embarrass them if they want or to leverage them, to blackmail them, if you will, to get them to send ultimately the pictures and or videos that they want. So it's it's something that, uh, you know, again, when we talk to kids, we tell them, you know, if it's something you wouldn't send to a parent or teacher, you shouldn't send it because you have no idea who's going to look at it or who's going to see it. And if you'd be embarrassed for those people to see it, then then that's something that you don't want out there. Right. And and that's even, uh, you know, in, in case you missed it, there's some grooming behavior there that you just described. There absolutely is. Yep. The more and more that they can relax kids and build their trust, um, then, you know, the more that leverage they have later on. And one of the things that, that kids don't realize is you know, their best friend online, that they have no idea who that is, that best friend also has a hundred or so or a thousand or however many other friends that they're doing the same thing to. So it's not a, a true relationship, if you will, as a lot of people view it or as the way a lot of kids view it. So there's a there's a topic in here that you talk about a, a game that they play on the internet called Smasher Pass, and um, I'll have you explain it. But but it kind of sets up that it kind of uh, it uh, downplays some of the sexual stuff, plus exchanges pictures and creates interaction. Can you ex- explain kind of that that game that's played sometimes? Yeah. So it's uh, played mostly on social networks. Um, smash uh, means that you would want to have sex with somebody. Pass means you're not interested. And the way that it started is somebody will post on, say, a bulletin board or some other public forum. Um, they'll, they'll post smash or pass, rate me on a scale from one to 10. And then people will look at that. They will go look at that person's profile and then they'll send them a private message. In the private message, they will actually assign themselves a number, which is just a random number. It could be 727 or 584 or whatever. It's just a number that um, that person that gets the private messages knows that that's associated to the person who sent the message. They will rate them. They'll say, you know, I rate you as an 8 and smash. Well, then the person who did the original posting will go look at, at 587 or whatever number they used, will look at their profile and then they will come back in the same public forum where they posted their original smash or pass, and they will rate that person. So they'll say 584, I'll rate you as a 5, and I'll pass. But the only people who know who 584 is is the person who created the number and sent the private message to the original poster. So the, the game just loops, and it will go for hours, and they'll just keep posting and posting, and it's amazing. They'll have hundreds, if not sometimes in the thousands of, of kids responding to that and, and responding to each other and, and keeping the game going. So what we have here is, is what starts with maybe a provocative photo that gets posted to the internet, but then we put a sexual nature to it that is kind of distanced from reality because we're using an electronic device, downplaying it, and then we're comparing ourselves to others with this game. Absolutely. Yep. And we're also talking about sex acts and and interactions if they were to meet face to face. And here's the scary part. And that's where we go next is, is that who's on the other end? And there's no way to know. So part of your, 
part of your job, Earl, you you go out and you create fake profiles and you're out there trolling around looking for somebody trying to to solicit a juvenile, turn it into more than just a chat. You've you've done some things. Talk about how how easy that is to do and and what results you get when you do it. So again, there's there's no verification or validation to any profile that's created. The the networks don't verify you are who you say you are. Um, so I've created multiple, multiple undercover profiles to, to use to, to monitor online and, and to, in a sense, make myself available for predators to find. Um, I've also created several profiles that, uh, you know, just posing as kids, and that's how we kind of keep up on what the latest trends are and what's happening. We're not using them as an investigative, but we're seeing what's happening, and that's how we kind of keep a pulse on, on the trends, if you will. But uh, several years ago, I created a fake profile. I made it a juvenile female, um, said I was from Billings. I didn't even use a, a, a real person picture or any type of person picture for the, the profile picture. And then I went into a social network, and I, I found 40 other teenage females. And I didn't care where they were, what they looked like, anything. I just the first 40 I found. I sent them friend requests. And out of those 40 friend requests, I had four of them that actually they didn't respond at all. I had four that actually denied them because they didn't know who I was. But out of that, 32 teenage females accepted the request for that profile with that little of information. So truly 80% of the the requests that I sent out were accepted with none of them having any idea of who I was or if I even was actually in Billings. Again, we'll reinforce it because, uh, you know, this is a good learning program, but parents check your check your kids' friends lists. Uh, know who they are, who they're talking to, uh, and who are on those lists because uh, that 80, 80% of those should be kind of a gut check for you. It should be, and, and it's, it's very important to, for parents to stand, stand on that. And um, they need to understand that it doesn't matter how many pictures are in that profile or how active that profile is. You still don't know who that person is. So has anything changed since 2011 when you made that? Um, kids have become almost more confident online and less afraid of strangers, if you will. Um, they are seemingly anyway, more willing to talk because they spend more time online and they have kind of a, that keyboard courage or safety feeling, um, if you will, while they're at home. So let's kind of get into some of the, you know, we've talked about the bullying, which is probably what mostly occurs. We talked about, you know, who are the friends, some of the dangers of the locations, the geotagging, the information that you put out on the internet. But let's talk about some of the, the, the worst case scenarios uh, that result from, from these online interactions, whether it's a successful meetup with a predator or somebody else. Uh, one of the examples you talk about is is uh, uh, this guy from Ohio. Yeah, so there was a, it was an article I actually found online that uh, it was a, a guy in Ohio that was he was actually on house arrest and under electronic monitoring, and uh, he had a 14 year old girl that he was able to get to his house. Um, he held her captive for several months, actually raped her, impregnated her, and again while he was on an electronic monitor in an abduction case. And one of the biggest questions is, is, well, how did he get a 14-year-old girl if he was on house arrest and electronic monitoring? She actually took a cab to his house. They met online, and, and she was comfortable enough with who he was or who he thought he was that she took a taxi and got dropped off there. 
You know, and this is a this is absolutely worst case scenario, and we we hear it from time to time. The Craigslist meetups that go bad, Facebook stuff, uh, all of this. How are they? Um, you know, how are how is this interaction progressing? Where where does it where does it all start? Well, I I think the more time that we spend online, the more comfortable we all become. So even when you're talking the Craigslist deals. Um, you get lulled into that salt, that false sense of security when you chat with somebody who's selling a car, or selling a refrigerator, selling whatever that you're interested in, and you build up kind of that rapport with them. And then you, you know, agree to meet with them, exchange money for product or whatever you're buying. And uh, you, you show up at these places and you have no idea who they are or, you know, what their intentions are, or even if they have that, that item that they're portraying for sale. I like to tell people when they're for advice for buying stuff online and, and meeting people. Um, jokingly, I say treat it like a drug deal, right? Uh, one, you don't want to go there and get robbed. Somebody's going to steal your money, beat you up, whatever the deal is. So make sure that you're in a public place. Um, don't go to somebody's house or location, or if you have to, take somebody with you. Let people know where you're going. Give time timelines, time frames. Um, you know, don't don't show your money off. Give it to them right. You know, you got to be smart about it. Meet in those public places, uh, uh, businesses, parking lots where there's cameras, those types of things. That's all extra stuff that I, th- I think when I talk to people like the Craigslist stuff, those are all good recommendations. I agree. And that's um, the same recommendations we give. And um, I have bought stuff off Craigslist and followed those rules of, you know, you meet in public and if you're the one selling stuff, don't have people come to your house. Again, you know, the public meeting, whether you're selling or buying, um, the more people around, the better. And that's just keeps things on the up and up. And that way, you know, you don't have people with nefarious thoughts coming to your house or you're going to their house. The public is, there's kind of that strength in numbers, if you will, in the safety and in being seen. Right. And, and that's a huge reminder is that I think for the most part of us, uh, Lots of us have never been victims of crimes, and we may not go into with a mindset that there are people out there looking to take advantage of you. Very true. So let's talk a little bit about some of the dangers of, of, of being social for the teenagers uh, and how how's the grooming kind of starts to develop these relationships. So the grooming usually starts, um, it could start one of two ways. Um, a lot of times it's just a, just a, a regular plain introduction, if you will. Um, but other times it will actually start with the person telling them that they think that person is attractive. They'll get a message that says, you know, you're very beautiful. Have you ever thought of modeling? Um, we get all of those types of of messages, you know, all the way from high to, to wow, you're beautiful and could be a model. And one of the things that these predators play off of is, you know, I think that us as humans, we all like to hear that we're attractive to somebody. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. And um, they have nothing but time. So they will send out hundreds, if not thousands, of these messages every day. And when they meet somebody, um, they will truly just send messages and small talk and everything until that person that they've met is having a bad day. And then they can be their friend that they can confide in, their friend that they can talk to, and they will use the information that they get and, and help kind of uh, lull that person into a, a sense of confidence or comfort that they shouldn't be in and they start to put their guard down and then that's when the the grooming starts to change from 
just being friends to sexual in nature. So we're going to go over a, um, you got a, a chat stream here. Is this from a case? It is from a case, yes. And so one of the things that uh, I kind of want to um, draw a parallel here to, because it, it, it affects even like just in-person safety, but these grooming behaviors that start, uh, they start slowly, especially in person, little bits here, little bits there to gain the kid's trust, um, where with the internet, you see that that gets accelerated very, very quickly because of the anonymity with it. But I think some, as we, as we read through this, I want everybody to pay attention to um, where things start to switch the small little feelers to get the response back uh, and uh, see how, how this conversation goes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out loud. He says, hi. She says, hey. He says, how are you? She says, good you. He says, not too bad. She says, may I ask who this is? Uh, and then we redacted some of the stuff. I'm blank and blank and blank friend. Uh, she says, um, like you were accept your friend request. I put some of my friends as my family and I put you as my brother. So yeah. So what's your age again? Now, why would they put them as a family member instead of a friend? So um, that was one of the things that we were seeing as a trend um, with kids using Facebook at the time. Um, they would actually put people as family members instead of just friends, um, just to kind of move them up in their status, if you will, or, or show them higher on their profile. Wow. So he responds, so, she, so remember, so she finished her last message with, so what's your age? He says, I'm a young 28. She replies, oh, I see. He says, yep, figured that would scare you away, LOL. She engages back and says, do you know my age? He replies, young. She says, yeah, 14. He responds back, a little old for me, L-O-L-J-K. Then follows up with another one. Says He says, you don't want to hang out with me anyways. I'm a horny old man. Uh... She says, are you going to blank this year? So we redacted that out. That's likely a location. Uh, he says, not sure. She says, you should go blank and hang with me and my homies. He says, are you single? She says, yeah. He says, what's the oldest guy you've been with? She says, I'd rather not say. He says, OIC, are you a virgin? She replies back, no. He says, well, hell, then let's get together, get ripped, and hump like bunnies. LOL. Her reply is, LOL, um, are you married? He replies, no. She replies, why did you want to know if I was single? And he replies, because if you had a man, I wouldn't try to get in dem panties. LOL. Yeah, he, uh, and that was a conversation that was over the period of less than two weeks is how they, there was many, many more messages in that, but that's how fast it progressed from high to sexual in nature. So over the course of two weeks, this guy is working on this young lady. Absolutely. And he's throwing out little feelers, if you will, 
you know, when he's talking about and he's a young 28 and he knows that she's underage. So he's just kind of testing the water to see what the reaction's going to be. So not only do we have to, as parents, have this conversation with our kids about, you know, sexual activity, sexual behaviors, especially when they're, they're young, but it's getting to be younger that we're having to have those conversations. But parents, we got to start having these conversations about this type of activity online because uh, you can kind of read through here and see where when she says, hey, you should go here, I'm guessing that this juvenile female isn't thinking that hey, you should go here because we're going to do something sexual. She's just thinking, hey, we're going to hang out, and it's a friend's thing. Agreed, yeah. So, uh, again, let's have these conversations with our kids about what we're, what type of information and how this stuff is progressing. Clearly very much a, uh, a grooming behavior that occurs through this. Uh, one of the other things, so there's, a, there's another text message here, um, but there's some pressuring instead of just like the grooming here where we have somebody being nice to a girl asking progressively more provocative questions and not being shut down. So it moves to another phase. It seems like some of this, so this next one is more of like a, a, a tit for tat type of a game a this for that. Yeah. So this one is actually a, um, you know, the, the common buzzword for it now is, is uh, sextortion. So, it's uh, somebody who approached a young female on a social network and tried to convince her that she knew who it was. It was very clear that it was a fake profile. There was no profile picture. There was no other information, um, but was trying to convince her that she knew who it was. And then for this person to give her clues about their name, they wanted pictures. And so we're presuming it's a he. We were never able to identify who it was, but um, they send, I'll give you a clue for every pick you send of my choice. None bad. It's a game. One of the things to pay attention to in the in the message is, is it's very choppy, a lot of periods. It doesn't look like English is, is possibly this person's primary language, so possibly not even somebody that's in the United States. Um, but she replies back, okay, and then she says, but you have to answer my question. And then he says, okay, one question. Um, the way it's typed is, okay, one question, but my name, per pick first, pick for a clue, is your face and belly button all in one pick. So it's all choppy with lots of periods. But what he's asking for is a teenage female to send a picture of herself with her face and belly button in the picture. Well, in that picture is going to be included are her breasts. So whether she is wearing a swimsuit or a bra or something. Um, he wants her midriff exposed and her face in there so that that could possibly be an embarrassing picture that they could then use to, to try to get her to send other pictures or videos. But when you read this, it's a little bit of trickery going on because it just says just your face and the belly button all in one pic. Correct, yeah. So it's very... Um, in a sense, at, at face value, very non-threatening, if you will. Hey, just just take this quick picture, and this is all you got to do, and I'll give you a clue. So back again, parents, we got to have these conversations. We got to talk about this type of grooming behavior. One of the other things, uh, the grooming behaviors that I want to talk to, especially like a in-person type thing, is secrets. Um, in a large portion of our, our our child sex offense cases. Um, and, and where we see grooming is this realm of a secret with the, the predator. 
uh, whether they're in person or whatever. And it starts off with either something embarrassing or uh, gifts or, or whatnot. So maybe they, they give your child a gift, but that gift needs to say a secret. Uh, and if, if they, you know, give your kid a gift and you don't find out about it, that's a, that's a, that's success level one for the predator, right? Correct. Um, so talk to your kids and have conversations, uh, about secrets or secrets with strangers. Um, and you got to start early with them, uh, back to another, uh, you know, just a quick story. So my wife and I, with our, our five-year-old, um, he, he'll, he'll go on like lunch dates with mom or ice cream dates and stuff like that, you know, and they have their own mom son time. And, and I, you know, we have our own dad son time. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, you know, we were at dinner one night and he was, you know, whispering like a five-year-old would to my wife and, it, you know, that, Hey, are we going to tell dad we went on a coffee date today or whatever the deal is. And so we took that opportunity to have the conversation with him about like, Hey, like we don't have secrets in the family. Like secrets aren't okay. Like we talk about the things that we do. Uh, but that's also to give him kind of a coping mechanism or a setup to where secrets aren't okay with anybody. Uh, as far as, as far as that kind of stuff goes. So start with secrets, those, uh, grooming behaviors, have the conversations with your kids about the social media stuff, the pictures, the touching, uh, good touch, bad touch. These are all conversations that we have to have with our kids when, when they're young, uh, because otherwise they're going to learn it on the internet. Yep. That they are. And, and, uh, I would just like to add that the stranger danger, um, is, is a big one. And especially, with the internet and the inability of us to see these people face to face to kind of get that, that vibe or feeling, if you will. And I want to add on here, this one's for you parents and any of the adults out there. These, all these rules apply to you as well, just not your kids. Um, in the last two months, we've had uh, two attempted extortion cases from runaways that uh, uh, moms reported their, their kids as runaways, put on social media that the kid was missing, and then their personal phone number. And then within about 30 or 45 minutes, uh, they received text messages um, from other phone numbers saying, I have your kid, here's what you need to do. Uh, usually it involves some type of anonymous money transfer, going to Walmart, this type of thing. Um, so parents, uh, this applies to you as well by not putting your personal information out there. Um, I did speak to one of the moms who, um, prior to doing the show, I, I reached out to her to kind of get an idea of what she went through. Um, and, and she's totally fine with us talking about it because I think it's a good lesson for everybody. But, uh, you know, her daughter ran away. She put it on Facebook, put her phone number on it. And literally within a short period of time, she was getting anonymous text messages saying that, you know, we have your daughter, uh, you know, send this, this, and this, and then we'll send you pictures of proof of life or whatever the deal is. Uh, all pretty far out looking inside, but put yourself in those shoes. If you're a parent who's had your kid run away, you don't know where they're at. You're worried about their safety. And then now all of a sudden you're getting text messages from somebody saying that they have your kid. I think that's probably a parent's worst nightmare. Uh, so these people are trying to take advantage of them. Uh, it created lots of long-term implications, um, uh, continued, continued, uh, uh, phone calls. Uh, the, the mom that I talked to, she said that even weeks and months later, people are still calling the number to ask how her daughter's doing. Um, 
and she's had a tough time removing a lot of that personal information from the internet. So oftentimes people will have to change their number, uh, adjust things as well. So all of these things we're talking about uh, apply to you as well. So one last thing I kind of want to just summarize before we before we wrap up. Let's kind of recap some of the tips uh, for parents because we've talked about a lot of stuff to keep our kids safe and stay safe on the internet. So yeah, the, um, one of the easiest ones is setting up a charging, charging station outside of the bedroom. Um, again, dining room, kitchen, have a counter with uh, chargers plugged in. They can just come in. They can plug their device in. They go to bed at night, and then they can have their their device again in the morning. That it's just it's removed from the bedroom. Um, that way, they're not worried about checking it. People aren't sending them messages that are waking them up. They're not uh, messing with it or being pressured into doing things in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. And they're down with their device by themselves at two in the morning or whenever. Um, one of the other big things is random device checks. Just when they come home or or some evening around dinner time, just just look through their device and ask questions. Ask what apps they're using, and if you see somebody on there you don't recognize, ask who that person is or who that number is, and and just truly keep tabs. Um, it's not about a privacy thing. It's about keeping our kids safe. It's a parenting thing. It's truly knowing what's going on and taking the steps to to one show our kids that we care about them, but two to keep them safe and and know that they have that safe place and and that there are parameters with their actions and things that they can and can't do. And then know what apps are being used. Again, if you don't know the apps, search them. Any kind of, whether it's Bing, Google, whatever search engine you use, look up the app and find out. Read a little bit about it. See what it can do. Um, Find out like Snapchat has a hidden folders place for eyes only where they can have a, a folder built into the app and they can be storing pictures in there that you'll never see if you don't know that it's there and and have the password to get into it. So you can find that kind of stuff about all these different apps and what they can do. And then another one, um, check all of their accounts and social networks. Have their logins and passwords so you can see who they're talking to, who they're sending private messages to, what kind of things that they're posting. But again, I can't reiterate it enough, just being their friend is not enough. You've got to have the logins and, and passwords. And, and to finish that out, because we hit it several times before, but that relationship and that communication with your child of having these conversations when they're using these devices, because even if you follow all of these rules, there's still, uh, there's still a risk. There's still a chance. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the things, the worst thing that we can do is, is truly, I, I use a slide for this, but it's put our head in the sand and, and think that it, it's not my child or it won't happen to us. Um, because what if it is and what if it is happening and we want to know about it or find it before things get so bad that, that our child thinks that there's no fix or that there's no cure and that their, their world, if you will, is, is collapsed and is over. So what happens if we're not paying attention? Well, sometimes things hurt. Sometimes bad things happen and we don't see them coming. Yep. And, and as we've kind of painted that picture here, and I think this is a good closing for us is, is I hope that everybody enjoyed listening to this as explicit as it was. It paints a picture of the real realities that that some of these kids are facing these days and the risks and uh, the consequences that are involved if we're we're not on top of it. And one of the things that that we haven't mentioned so much is, is pay attention to the games our kids are playing. When they're online gaming with their networks and stuff, pay attention to make sure that they're in age appropriate games and see what the game is about. Um, 
don't uh, don't get lulled into the game as a babysitter and buy them whatever game they want because then they'll go off and and play it. Pay attention to to what the games are and what the content is because we see it a lot, especially in elementary school where kids are playing games that are recommended for 17 and above and they're all under 12 playing these games with adults on there. So just something else to pay attention to. And I think that's a good thing to bring up too, because that's a whole nother topic, but we talk about uh, not only the influences, but the addiction of these devices, the amount of time spent on them, the screen time that they're getting, uh, the draw back and back and forth. And, and whether it's drug addiction or other, some types of substance abuse, uh, if we don't monitor that, then you have somebody who's addicted to electronic devices. And they are admittedly by the designers designed for that. The more waking moments you can spend on there, the more information they can gather. And and the more time you're on it, the, the further into the internet you go. And the less time you're spending with personal interaction. Yep. Alrighty. Well, I think that's a good place to close. If you've made it to the end of the podcast, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be here back next time.